Auto insurance can all seem the same until it comes time to use it. So don't get stuck paying more for less coverage. Switch to USA Auto Insurance and you could start saving money in no time. Get a quote today. Restrictions apply. Night racing is back at Richmond Raceway. This spring, top NASCAR drivers like Ryan Blakey, Chase Elliott, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, and Virginia's own Denny Hamlin will battle under the bright lights. And this historic track also offers a rocking infield experience with unparalleled access to your favorite drivers and one of the best tailgate scenes around. For a weekend of friends, family, and amazing short track action, head to Richmond Raceway, March 29th through 31st. Get tickets now at richmondraceway.com. Food Heals Podcast, Episode 17. And I said, you guys, I have the best idea. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to move into a van, and I'm going to try to eat at every vegan restaurant in the country. (laughs) (laughs) Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals Podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals Nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to actually start using their $39.99 a month gym membership. If you experience any of these symptoms, Snapchat your trainer immediately. Welcome, Food Heals Nation. I'm Allison Melody, and this is the Food Heals Podcast. Today's guest is author Kristen Lajeunesse. Kristen is a travel and food enthusiast and author of will travel for vegan food a young woman's solo van dwelling mission to break free find food and make love she is also founder and writer of the award-winning website will travel for vegan food Kristen is a business and lifestyle strategist for entrepreneurs and small business owners today's show is sponsored by the global healing center you know who they are food heals nation you always hear me talk about them I've been a fan of theirs for years, and I love their mission, and I love their products, and my family loves their products too. I'm a huge fan of their Parfait Visage face lotion that literally takes wrinkles away, makes your skin look younger. I can attest to that. I love the Oxy Powder Colon Cleansing Tablets. They just really detox you, really make you feel better, get all those toxins out. And I just started taking their digestive enzymes, so I will let you know how those turn out for me. Stay tuned, and later in the show, I'll tell you how you can get 20% off Global Healing Center products using a discount code exclusive to Food Heals listeners. Before we get to our interview with Kristen, I have a clip I want to play for you. Our interview with Kristen really focused on her journey, her book, and her business, and it was about giving yourself permission to do what you love, which is exactly what she did, and I love that concept. But I also think it's important to talk about why she really went beyond being a vegetarian to being a vegan. And she mentions this briefly in her interview that what changed her mind and really helped her make that transition was a talk by dietitian George Eisman called Why Dairy Isn't Necessary. And this was part of my own personal awakening, too. I remember the first time a chiropractor told me I needed to get off dairy and I protested and I said, no, dairy does a body good. (laughs) And I truly believed it. I was completely fooled. I had been fooled by the massive advertising, you know, the milk mustache campaigns, and I really had to discover how the dairy industry has completely manipulated us into believing that dairy is good for us, when the fact is that not only is dairy not good for our bodies, but the actual production of dairy is destroying our environment and is completely abusive to animals. 
Um, so I found a clip of George Eisman online that I wanted to play for you where he really explains the truth about dairy. And before we go into Kristen's interview, I just thought it would be important to address this issue. So the clip is about seven and a half minutes long. Lots of great information. I apologize about the audio. I took this off of YouTube. Thank you, YouTube. <laughs> and after the clip, we'll go straight into our interview with Kristen. So without further ado, here is registered dietitian George Eisman on dairy. The idea that we need dairy products as part of our diet is such a ridiculous thing that nobody even thinks about it because if they did, they would just laugh themselves into oblivion almost. Because the idea that human beings need the milk of another animal is ludicrous, and the idea that any animal needs any kind of milk after infancy makes no scientific sense at all. Milk is a secretion for infant animals to be able to grow enough to be able to chew food, to get their teeth grown in so that they can chew food and get all the nutrients they need. Milk is a secretion for growth. Um, but there are so many links with dairy and cancer, which it makes perfect sense. If cancer is a disease of abnormal what? Abnormal growth. You grow tumors, you grow, your cells grow out of control. Why would you want to be putting something that's a growth food, that's full of growth hormones, into your system? And people have this idea that, well, if it's organic milk and it doesn't have any of these added hormones to it, then it's okay. Well, read carefully. Those milks don't say no hormones. They say no added hormones. And the dairy industry has demonstrated that no matter how many hormones they inject those cows with, the amount of growth hormones that's in that milk is only what's at the high end of normal anyway. Because milk is a growth food full of growth hormones. And then when they give the cow a little boost of growth hormones, it'll produce a little bit more milk. It's insignificant statistically. And yet, you know, they, they fought, that's why they fought labeling for so long. But all these people that are fooling themselves into thinking they're eating a healthy product because it has no added hormones is like saying, you know, I'm smoking tobacco with no added nicotine. Well, tobacco itself has nicotine. It doesn't matter that there's nothing added. Um, but I'm going to talk a little bit more about some of the other reasons why this dietitian doesn't use dairy products. And they have to do with the same reasons why all of us or most of us don't use uh, meat products because we don't want to see animals suffer, we don't want to see the environment harmed, and we don't want to do damage to our bodies. All of those, and we don't want to take food away from hungry people in the world. All of those things apply to dairy products as well as, as easily as they do to any meat products. The, the life of a dairy cow in this country is probably the worst thing that we can we can imagine doing to uh, a fellow animal. A dairy cows dairy cows aren't raised anymore on little family farms, even though they have these commercials talking about the happy cows from California. They wouldn't have those commercials if it wasn't a lie. I mean, we all know the commercials are all about lying to people, but burying it in some truths. A dairy cow in this country, um, on a factory farm, which is where almost all the milk comes from now, uh, when she's born, she's tethered to a little doghouse, and she's got a, as a monitor put around her leg so they can monitor her temperature so they'll know the very first time in her life she's going to ovulate. And when, when she's about to ovulate, she's impregnated. It's all Nine months later, she gives birth to a calf. That calf is taken away at day one and thrown into a, a veal pen. All the males are thrown into veal pens. Um, half the females are now thrown into veal pens also because they, they breed so many cows that they don't even need half the females anymore. So that veal is not just male calves for, you know, you women that think men should be punished in some way. I'm just kidding. Um, but, but half, you know, fully a third of the veal is now from female calves. Um, but that, that cow that just gave birth and basically is still a very, very young cow, didn't even know what was going on, but turns around and sees this calf being snatched away. She, she starts crying. The calf starts crying. The calf is trucked away. 
Remember that underground footage of the slaughterhouse in California a couple years ago where cows were being dragged by forklifts and tractors to the slaughterhouse floor, and they recalled hundreds and hundreds of tons of meat because they said, oh, these cows might have mad cow disease, and they were downer cows, and they shouldn't have been slaughtered for food. Well, that slaughterhouse only slaughters dairy cows. They knew darn well those cows didn't have mad cow disease. It goes on every day in this country that dairy cows are dragged to the slaughterhouse floor to be turned into cheap hamburger meat. They just didn't want the public to know it. And that's where all the cheap hamburger meat that goes to the school lunch program, that goes to the fast food places, that's why McDonald's and Burger King, not to mention any names, um, can, can afford to sell you 99-cent double cheeseburgers because that meat comes from these cows that are basically throwaways at this point. They've already paid their dues. They've given all these thousands of gallons of milk and, and built full veal calves inside them that their meat is you know, so low in fat and so lean that it's not worth anything as a steak so it's basically cheap throwaway meat. So if you're drinking milk, you're supporting that whole industry of cheap meat, of veal, of tortured animals, tortured mothers, tortured babies, um, all for the sake of what? A food that we don't need. A food that's causing us harm and causing us disease and is absolutely not necessary. Um, the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota back in 1987 published a study, and I'm sure Dr. Deal will talk about this, um, they published a study saying that not only isn't milk and dairy intake important, but calcium intake is not a major factor in, in bone disease. These diseases, osteo, osteoporosis, osteopenia, are not really related to calcium intake, and so they're not related to dairy intake. I mean, the dairy industry has this idea that they can convince you that bones are largely made out of calcium, milk contains calcium, therefore milk is important for your bones. Well, the Mayo Clinic says bone loss disease is not affected that much by how much calcium you take in. It's affected by, by losing it from the body for other reasons. And in 1997, the American Journal of Public Health, Harvard Medical School did a study where they, where they looked at over 100,000 nurses around the country, and they found that the ones that drank the most milk did not have any stronger bones. They actually had slightly weaker bones than the ones that didn't drink any milk at all. And so we've known for 10, 20 years that dairy products don't contribute to bone health, and yet that's why we're being told we need to have this stuff every day. You know, and heaven help you if you go into a school and you tell kids they don't need their milk, everybody gets upset, oh, they're building their skeleton at this age. You know, where are they going to get that calcium from? the same place the cows get it from. It's not calcium, it's calcium, and it's one of the most abundant elements in the Earth's crust, and every green vegetable out there is full of it. What did, what did Popeye eat to make himself big and strong? He opened up a can of spinach, right? He didn't open up a, a jar of cheese whip and start spooning that down. And the guy who was big and fat and lazy, his name was Wimpy, and, his, and what did he eat? He said, I'll gladly pay you on Tuesday for a hamburger today. And we've turned it all around, and we have this idea that animal products make us big and strong, and really it's those leafy greens that the animals are being fed, and we're being, you know, we, we get the nutrients secondhand through those animals, and the animals aren't happy about it, our body's not happy about it, and the environment sure isn't happy about it. I have nothing against dairy cows. I think they're wonderful, sweet animals. And unfortunately, that's why they are sweet, because they have to be handled every day. So they bred these animals to be not only big and produce a lot of milk and, and, and meat, but they're also bred to be very gentle so they can be handled. So they're gentle giants, but being giants, they um, produce a lot of waste, a lot of excrement, and our, our, our water pollution crisis, our global warming crisis, our air pollution crisis, you know, uh, more than half of that is attributable to the livestock industry. And the biggest animals we raise out there are these dairy cows. They're the SUVs of the livestock industry. 
and uh, you know, full-grown male dairy cow, if you let it, let these uh, veal calves grow up, they can be up to 3,000 pounds, whereas a full-grown beef cow is only about 900 pounds. These are big, huge animals. That's why their mothers give so much milk, and that's why they produce so much waste. And it's the, the worst thing we can do for the environment is to keep keep this dairy business in business. So again, that was George Eisman, dietitian and author. And I just hope you'll think about what he said. And next time you go to eat dairy, maybe you'll start to cut down, if not cut it out entirely. And again, at the Food Heals podcast, we always say progress, not perfection on the show. So just do your best and, you know, feel proud that every time you choose not to consume dairy, you're helping yourself, you're helping the animals and you're helping the planet. If you want to learn more about this, I would definitely check out the movie Forks Over Knives, and you can hear the whole story from a dairy farmer himself, T. Colin Campbell. It really digs into the meat and dairy industry in depth, so it's a really great place to start to get more information. Another one that just came out is Cowspiracy, which Leonardo DiCaprio helped fund, and it's about the devastating environmental impact that large-scale factory farming has on our planet. Both of those are on Netflix. You can Google them. They're easy to find. Next up, our interview with Kristen. The Food Hills Podcast starts now. She is a published author and lifestyle clarity coach who set out to eat and write about every single all-vegan restaurant in the United States. Two years, 48 states, and more than 500 restaurants later, she succeeded, and her new book is called Will Travel for Vegan Food. Please welcome Kristen Lajeunesse. Hey, Allison. Thanks for having me. Of course. No problem. I'm very excited about your book. I just finished it. So thank you so much for that. Yeah. What did you think? (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was great. It's perfect for a person like me. I'm like your perfect target audience. And I know Susie is too. Unfortunately, she's not here today. But um, we were at your book signing. And so we both got a copy. So I'm not sure if she's finished it yet. Last time I talked to her, I was ahead of her on the book. So I'm not sure if she's done yet. But I finished in time for the interview. So I was really excited. (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah, we loved it. So I want my husband to read it too, because I thought it was a really... Um, interesting what you did. And I don't want to give too much away, but I want to give enough away to get people excited about the book. So let's start at the beginning. Can you tell me what was the idea? What was the inspiration behind the idea? Why did you decide to do this and then turn it into a book? When I was uh, fresh out of grad school, I had landed my uh, my first job out of grad school. And this was back in 2009. Uh, I was about maybe six months or a year into this job. I thought it was going to be kind of a forever job. I was putting my communications and marketing degree to use at a nonprofit animal welfare organization. So I thought, okay, I'm combining all these things that I had not only practiced to do, but also thought that I wanted to spend my time doing. And six months or a year into that job, I was just, I was feeling unsettled despite having the graduate degree, the job, I had a great romantic relationship, or at least a comfortable one. And I was living in Boston, a city that I really like, and yet something still felt unsettled. And I wasn't sure what that was about. And so around that time, I stumbled upon some books and blogs about people that were living nomadically, traveling full time, talking about things like passive income and lifestyle design. And this was a whole new world for me. And so really, I found it incredibly intriguing. And I kind of obsessively started reading more about these people that were essentially designing their lives around their greatest passions. And it sounded almost spammy at first until (laughs) I really, you know, dove into it and got to, to know more about the people behind what I was reading. And it was just very fascinating. And 
One afternoon, I was finishing up lunch break and was going back to my literal cubicle at my job and um, sat down at my desk and the words, we'll travel for vegan food just kind of appeared before me. And wow. it was in that yeah, it was in cool. that moment where I knew exactly what I needed to do. And so I opened an email, a new email to send to my parents. And I said, you guys, I have the best idea. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to move into a van and I'm going to try to eat at every vegan restaurant in the country. <laughs> what did they say? Well, it took a few days to hear back and I'm very close with my parents. And so I knew that they probably were feeling skeptical and it right. took them a little while. And I just got one email back from my dad. It was very short. It said, cool idea, Chris. <laughs> and that was it. And I'm sure that they thought, of, you know, who is really going to quit their job and move into a van and all of that stuff? I mean, is that really realistic? And, you know, I had some conversations internally about, is it realistic? What would I be giving up? Or am I giving up these luxuries or different things that, that I thought I should be doing with my life? But I just couldn't shake the idea. And uh, about six months later, I launched a Kickstarter campaign. I gave my notice at work and in the in October of 2011 I officially moved into the van and set out on the road trip. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and to answer the other part of your question about the book, uh I guess the short the short answer to that is I was not planning on writing a book at all when I when I set out on the journey. In fact, it was really the road trip was coming just from this like passion place of I need a change in my life because I did end the relationship. I did leave the job. I sold or donated almost everything that I owned and literally lived in the van for a solid 18 months straight. And so I, when I was going into that, I was just thinking, Oh, this sounds like a neat thing. Let me see if I can make it happen. And then about a year into the journey, I thought it would take a year, ended up taking two years, but about one year in, I heard from an acquaintance of mine from Boston who had been following the road trip. And he said that he and his wife were planning to start a publishing company called Vegan Publishers. And they were wondering if I was planning to write about, about the journey. And I kind of jokingly said, well, no, but if you pay me, I will. And so, <laughs> We started talking a little bit about it. It was originally going to be a coffee table book of just pictures of food and scenery from around the country. And then when they realized how expensive that would be for them, it then <laughs> turned into a memoir. And I had never written a book before. I don't have any experience writing. So it was completely foreign territory. Well, you did a great job for a brand new writer. It, you know, the the words jump off the page like a seasoned writer's would. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no problem. Um, so why vegan? What is the, what's behind that? Mm -hmm. Well, I had, I've been, I just had my nine year vegan anniversary at the end of August. Congratulations! Thank yeah. you. <laughs> and um, I had been vegetarian for eight years before that. I had become vegetarian because. I have an older brother who's five years older than I am, and he ended up leaving high school and following the band Fish around the country for a while. Of course, probably against my parents' wishes at the time, I'm sure. Right. And when he came back, he had tattoos and dreads, and he kind of proclaimed his vegetarianism. And it was more, I think, at the time for him because of the people that he met and whatever. And so <laughs> I, my parents were concerned about his health. And so my mom jumped on this thing called the internet and did a bunch of research uh, to try to prove to my brother why this was a bad idea. And in doing that research, she actually found that it was the exact opposite. And so when I was 16, my parents sat me down and said that they wanted to become vegetarian together as a family. 
And as I mentioned earlier, I'm close with them. So I just kind of went along with it. I didn't really do any of my independent or own research on it. I just said, okay, from this moment on, I'm not eating meat. Uh, and then I went off to college and my parents got really involved in the upstate New York veg scene where I'm from. And they eventually became vegan. I thought they were crazy. I didn't get it. And then it was a few years after they had become vegan. I was at a veggie fest in Syracuse, New York, where I was living at the time. And I went to a talk by this guy named George Eisman. He's a registered dietitian. And I heard him give this talk called Why Dairy Isn't Necessary. And it was finally in that moment that I heard the messaging that my parents had kind of gently been sharing with me that I was reluctant to hear before relating dairy to how it impacts the environment and the animals, of course, and then my personal health. And so in that moment, I kindly kind of woke up a little bit and, uh, and, and heard what was being said. And so that's kind of the short version of, of my vegan journey. And now for me, it's very much about the three big things, which I'm sure is something that, that everyone kind of talks about at some stage in, in veganism, which is again, the environmental impact of factory farming, the, the way that the animals are treated, of course, and the fact that we're killing them. And, and of course, the impact that it has on our bodies and how we actually don't need to consume meat or dairy in order to be healthy. So those are the reasons that I've maintained my veganism. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I feel the exact same way. It's those three reasons. And once first I did it for the health, then I did it for the animals. And then I learned the environmental factors. And it's really hard to go back after you learn kind of the trifecta. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. <clears throat> Um, so was it hard to find vegan restaurants across the U.S.? Um, it wasn't too bad because I was traveling to where the food was. So I kind of always had a plan for what was coming up next, or I knew how long I, I would have to go between restaurants. There are definitely a half a dozen states or so that don't have any completely vegan restaurants. So when I would go through them, like South Dakota, Wyoming, I think Delaware was one. Uh, when I would travel through those, I would try to find a food co-op or maybe a veggie-friendly place to get stock up on food until I made it to my next destination. Yeah, I just traveled from one side of South Dakota to the other. So I know exactly what you mean by <laughs> the South Dakota part. Um, you basically, I'd have to go to a diner and just figure something out and go, well, if you took the tomatoes from this sandwich and put it on the bread from this, I could make this, you know, yeah, <laughs> just exactly. make it up. Oh, that was fun. Were you doing a tour of the national parks? Um, I have family there. And so we did a road trip. We started around uh, Sioux Falls and we made it to the Black Hills. And so it was, I guess it was all day or was it two days? I can't remember. So it was really fun. And we ended up in the cabin in the beautiful mountains and it was a great experience but the food was harder to find yeah <laughs> the healthy food was harder to find so what was on your road trip playlist what kind of music did you listen to I had a mix of a few different things I from what I recall I was singing a lot to Sarah Bareilles mm -hmm. to Queen uh, pink martini. It was really kind of a mix of a few different things. Those are probably my go-to though, I, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get that one in there because I'm always looking for good road trip music. Yeah. <laughs> so what were people's reaction when you were traveling and you told them what you were doing and when you're in these various towns? It was usually a little bit of disbelief in, wait, you're traveling alone and you're a young woman and what are, you're eating all this food and every single restaurant, it was like kind of the same questions each time. But, um, 
I would say in traveling from one side of the country to the other and snaking my way up and down through through each of the states, I, I maybe met one or two people that were doing something crazy and adventurous who just kind of responded like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've lived in a van kind of thing. <laughs> and, it, and sometimes it almost felt, it made me feel a little like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm cool, cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say 95 or more percent of the time people were just kind of shocked that I was actually doing this by myself. And at the beginning, you weren't alone, right? Tell me a little bit about who was with you at the beginning. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so just before I left for the trip, I did have, I had a three-year-long relationship that when I decided, when I made the decision that I was going to go on this journey, we agreed that we would end our relationship. And so it was probably a good four to six months that my boyfriend at the time, his name is Joe, that we had decided we were going to end things when I left. So the relationship was kind of fading. And uh, I think what ended up happening is when the realization that I was about to embark on this thing became real and, and more tangible for me, I probably was really nervous. Well, I imagine being nervous. And and I think I must have like energetically pulled this other person in because I was at a vegan drinks event in Boston. And I met this guy and we kind of immediately had sparks and we hung out a couple of times, but nothing, nothing physical or romantic happened. But we definitely had chemistry. And he was very sweet. And uh, one day he said to me, you know, I, I can't not know what might happen between us if you go on this journey. And next thing I know, he quit his job and was moving into the van with me. Mm-hmm. And of course, I thought it was going to be like the biggest love story in the history of like vegan love stories because he was also vegan at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and within a couple of weeks, it was complete like terror, awful torture for both <laughs> of us. It was terrible. We, yeah, it, it was definitely challenging to navigate kind of new relationship sparks with, oh, by the way, now we're living together three weeks after knowing each other. Um, so it was probably about four months in, if not a little longer, that I finally kind of reached my limit and realized that I needed to be doing this on my own. I was planning to go by myself initially, and it was just really, really difficult to to share that experience with someone that I didn't know very well. And so I did end up asking him to leave the trip. And yeah, I kind of then almost started over again. I after I brought him back to Boston, I um, found my way back up to Portland, Maine, which is uh, one of the places that this person and I had started the journey in. And I went there to visit a friend of mine. In fact, I was just at her wedding last weekend. It was nice to be back up Aww. there. I was in this restaurant and ordering food and I was waiting for the food to come. And again, this is after I had left him back in Boston, went to visit my friend before I continued on with the journey. And I realized that I was sitting in the same restaurant in the same booth where my then travel partner and I had started six months earlier. And I just was overcome with this like crazy sensation of it, it almost felt like someone had picked me up and put me back at the beginning, like mm. on a, at a game on a game board. And they said, you know, Kristen, you were meant to do this by yourself here, start again. And <laughs> I'm getting like goosebumps just sharing it with you again, because it really, it was a turning point in the trip. That's amazing. So the rest of the trip, then you were on your own, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And how was that? Was that empowering to do by yourself? What advice would you give someone if they wanted to do this alone, but maybe they were a little scared or intimidated? Mm-hmm. 
I would say, well, the nice thing about doing something like this today is that technology makes it much easier for us to be safe and to know where we are and what we're doing. So what I relied on very heavily was my GPS and Google Maps and making updates to the internet so that my family knew that I was alive all the time. (laughs) My advice would be if you're really feeling like you're ready for a journey like this or to travel alone or maybe go to another country by yourself, that it's once you're in the swing of it, it's not as scary or bad as it seems. And Honestly, if you're focused mostly on what could or might happen, you might end up creating that experience because you're so afraid of it. And that sounds strange, but I've learned in kind of getting a better feel for how to follow my intuition that truly at the heart of it, listening to your gut makes so much sense. So if you are in a situation that you feel uncomfortable, then absolutely turn around or do something else. And that's what I relied on a lot when I was traveling is just listening to my gut. Yeah. And where did you sleep? I slept in the van. What was the name of your van? Her name is Gertie. (laughs) I knew the answer. That's what I had to ask. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So how was that experience? You were talking about safety and things like that. Were you okay? Did you feel safe? Mostly I did. I I did sleep with a can of mace on one side of my pillow and a hammer on the other side, just, <laughs> just in case it came to that. And here I, I'm saying that after I tell you not to, you know, try to foresee bad things happening. Um, it, yeah, I was very, very fortunate that nothing ever happened uh, that put my my person at risk. So that was great. But to be honest, I don't think I really got a singular full night's sleep when I was sleeping in the van because because I was by myself. And well, actually, when the my road trip partner in the beginning was with me, I probably slept much better. Just having that other body there, you know, makes a difference. It became my haven. It did become a safe place. And what I actually would end up doing is I don't think I really talked about this so much in the book. So you're kind of getting bonus material. But Ooh. I would, uh, <laughs> I would often take naps during the day because I felt a lot safer during the day. So I would get up in the morning and my usual routine would be like to use my go girl, which for you campers out there, you know, it's like this silicone funnel thing that you pee, use it, you'd use to pee standing up. (laughs) So I would use that in my canteen. I'd have my baby wipes routine, whatever. Um, and then I would go to a coffee shop or a cafe, do some blogging, catch up on emails, plan maybe the next leg of the trip. And then sometimes after my meal for that morning or afternoon, I would go take like a two or three hour nap before continuing on with my day. And that's kind of, I think that's how I, my body helped me manage the sleep deprivation because I definitely was a light sleeper when I was in the van. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Well, the naps probably helped. I know I still take naps and I don't sleep in a van. (laughs) (laughs) But they're helpful for entrepreneurs who are just working all the time and always trying to do something. Yeah. Um, So you left a job, you left your home, and did people think you were crazy and then you came back and you were like, I did it. What did they think? What did they say? I think most people had mixed feelings on it. I would say most of the people that I talked to wished that they gave themselves permission to do something like that. So it was, it was less about, you know, you're crazy and more about, I need to do something. I need to go follow my dream and my passion, which was great because it was something I wasn't expecting or I wasn't planning on creating something that would end up being such a great inspiration for other people. And it's just so cool that that was kind of a side product of, 
of the journey. I, I had no clue that would happen going into it. So I would say my family, some of my extended family probably was more on the you're crazy side because mm-hmm. they they knew how, you know, comfortable and, and great my life was beforehand. So I don't think they understood why I would upheaval that and do something different. And I honestly don't think I totally understood where it came from either, other than that kind of feeling of unsettledness that I told you about earlier. So yeah, I think mostly people were just kind of excited. And even by the end of the trip, my mom had joined me for a week in the van where she slept um, in the van as well. And that was really fun. We did a lot of camping out and I share some of that in the book. And then both of my parents flew out to Portland, Oregon. They had never been to the Pacific Northwest before. So they had both come out and we spent a week in Portland. And in fact, me and my mom both got tattoos at this vegan tattoo shop in Portland. <laughs> it was a, it was a really good time. And so by then, you know, when the trip was winding down and my parents got some firsthand experience, I think they then turned from being nervous for me and more excited at the opportunities that would maybe come after. Absolutely. And it seems like a lot of opportunities have come to you. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's, it, it's great because everything that has been popping up, like the book and then these other kind of career related opportunities and ultimately entrepreneurship, it, it has felt very organic. And I often have people reaching out to me for these opportunities, whereas instead of me kind of searching for, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to make money? Even though that's still in the back of my mind. You know, I lived off of donations during the road trip. I did the Kickstarter to get going. And then I had some people that continued to donate to keep me going. So there's there's been this really rough transition period of, okay, I lived off of donations for two years. How do I move that into actually making money again? Because one thing is for dang sure, and that's I'm not going back to a cubicle or nine to five job. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I totally hear you on that. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, and you're listening to the Food Heals podcast, where you'll find the tools to become a hotter, healthier, happier you. We'll be right back with Allison Melody and Susie Hardy. Food Heals Nation, if you are looking for the highest quality supplements, the most luscious organic skincare, and a brand name that you can trust to be free from toxic chemicals, look no further than the Global Healing Center. I have been using their products for years. Their Parfait Visage face lotion literally makes my skin look younger. And it comes in a beautiful bottle, so it is perfect as a gift as well. And the Oxy Powder Colon Cleanse Capsules are the most powerful detox supplements I have ever used. They get everything out and they don't leave you feeling full or uncomfortable. The mission of the Global Healing Center is to bring back good health, positive thinking, happiness, and love. And they want to help you realize that your body is a self-healing mechanism. Well, I couldn't agree more. So I've teamed up with Dr. Group and the Global Healing Center to bring you a discount exclusive to Food Heals listeners. Go to their website at globalhealingcenter.com, pick out the items you want, and use the discount code FOODHEALS, all one word, for 20% off your purchase, plus free shipping to the U.S. and Canada. 20% off is a great deal, Food Heals Nation. I love their products, and I know you will too. So what advice would you give someone who wants to turn their passion, whether it's for food or veganism or anything else, into a career, leave that nine to five, leave that cubicle? What would you say? I always say, start before you're ready. 
because you're never going to feel ready. You're never going to have everything in order. But the most important thing that you can do is the moment that you have this little thing, whether it's a blog post or something actionable that you can do, like clicking post or creating that Facebook page for the business or whatever it is, just start taking action now. Do it before you feel ready because if you keep waiting until everything is perfect to launch something, it, it will never happen. I love that. That is great advice. <laughs> um, what advice would you give someone who wanted to move towards a more vegan or more plant-based diet, but they were maybe scared or apprehensive? What, what tips would you tell them? Well, one of the biggest turning points for me, because I would say that my first full year as vegan, I was not eating healthfully. I was having potato chips and, and French fries and maybe a salad here and there because I didn't know really what to eat or where to get it. And I wasn't being very proactive about it. But what changed for me is when I surrounded myself with other vegans who were more seasoned and who became really good friends. And that was, I ended up kind of being um, thrown into that sort of through an internship where everyone I worked with was vegan. It was at this anti-vivisection place in Boston. And it was just the most amazing uh, small group of women uh, that I really connected with. And, um, and, it was, so yeah, it was through surrounding myself with people that were already living the lifestyle and knew how to eat healthfully. So I would say if you are interested in transitioning and it's been rocky or you don't know where to start, the best place is to look for a community or even just one person. Reach out to one person that you know is vegan or that you admire. It doesn't have to be a big old vegan superstar someone. It can just be someone that you might have heard has gone vegan or maybe is also interested in going vegan and see if they would be open to helping you through your journey. Yeah, because I think that, like you said, at first you were unhealthy and then you had to learn how to be healthy. You can be a junk food vegan very easily. And that's mm -hmm. almost defeating the purpose of why you're doing it. Because yes, it's about the animals and it's about the environment. It's also about the health for yourself. And so mm -hmm. teaching people that, well, you can do this this way or you can do it this way and be thriving and super healthy is really what it's all about. Mm-hmm. So tell me about what is a lifestyle designer? Tell me about what you do. Sure. So what I do is I work with small business owners and entrepreneurs to help them get more clarity around turning their like passion projects into profitable careers. And so the lifestyle design aspect of that really comes down to are you living a life that you have designed based around what you care about or how you want to be spending your time? And at the end of the day, I think most of us and probably even science would say we're not really designed to be sitting in front of our computers for eight or 10 hours a day and sitting all day either. We, we need breaks. We need our own schedule. Some people work better at night. Some work better at 5 a.m. And so being able to create that life around what works best for us individually, I think is incredibly important. I think people are more productive when they cr can create their own schedule and really get into a routine of it. So what I do is I help people figure out how to make that happen. And because I have a background in business management and marketing, it's a nice kind of cohesion of let me share my experience with you of what I've done to design, quote unquote, my life. And also, here's some ways that you can also more effectively market or promote your business through these tactics and such and forth. I love that. 
<laughs> Such and forth. Such and forth. <laughs> I don't mind if you keep that in. That's fine. <laughs> um, no, I love the whole concept that you just described because I'm, I'm the definition of that. I've never had a full-time job, but yet I've been able to be successful. And it's because I know that I can't have a full-time job. I am incapable of sitting at a desk all day long. I am incapable of being productive in the morning. I am a creative at night. I can create until 3 a.m., but ask me to do anything at 8 a.m. and you're going to get, you know, a glaring look and no productivity. <laughs> so yeah. designing your career around your life and your passion is is actually a passion of mine as well. So I love what you're doing. I think that's amazing. If you could have dinner with someone living or dead, who would it be and why? If I could, I would probably have dinner with, this is going to sound cheesy, maybe, but I would have dinner with Oprah because I think that she has one of the most courageous getting started stories. I mean, I, I don't know for those listening, I, I don't know her full, you know, history of things. I just know that she had a very rough childhood and the fact that she is where she is now, um, I just think is incredibly inspirational and just to be in her presence. And I wouldn't even want to pick her brain or anything. I would just want to sit with her and be near her, near someone who has uplifted themselves and and she too designing a, a, her life around what she genuinely cares about and she's kind of redefined that over the years and I think it's incredible that she's given herself permission and found a way to make it work in a very successful manner absolutely I think that's beautiful um maybe you'll get on Oprah's book club <laughs> oh my goodness I know that would be amazing <laughs> and then you can meet her well I'll <laughs> I'll put out good vibes for that. I think that would be okay. awesome. I thought, I thought you were going to say, oh, I'll introduce you. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that connected. Sorry. <laughs> Do you have any healthy travel tips? So if someone's traveling in general, not necessarily doing this great adventure, but they just want to stay healthy on the road, what can they do? Well, I'll be honest. I'm not the best person to ask about that. What I usually do is I'll before I set out on my flight to wherever I'm going, I will pack a few Vega bars, like the protein bars in case I am not able to get a meal because those are pretty filling. Um, and I will also bring like apples and, and clementines and a few things like that. Not a ton, but I'll have a few of those on hand. And I heard this really interesting tidbit that I'd like to share too related is that I met this woman once who has a couple of kids and she's an, she has an all vegan family. And she said that she would actually pack a separate suitcase just full of fruits and veggies and snacks for the kids on long flights so mm. that during the, the transportation, if they started getting hungry or complaining, they wouldn't have to resort to eating whatever pot potentially unhealthy or non-vegan thing was on available on the flight. And I just thought that was such a great idea. Yeah, that's a great idea because it's so hard to find healthy options at the airport. And you know the airplane food is just crap. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's great. Um, what about if they're ordering at a restaurant and it's just a typical American restaurant? What is there any tips that you can give to have them figure out how to order something vegan or tell the chef how to make something healthy? 
Yeah, if I'm going to a place that I know isn't uh, super vegan friendly, I definitely am the type that calls ahead if I know I'm going. If I'm going there kind of random one night with friends that was unplanned, then uh, I'll usually um, just quick scan the menu and see if there's like a simple salad. And then I might ask them to add like some cut up apple or some walnuts or something if they have it just to spice it up a little bit. And sometimes I've even ordered like two salads and just had them mix it together because I, you know, I that would be, make a much better meal than trying to do like French fries and a salad, which used to be one of my unhealthy combos my first year <laughs> vegan is I would always get French fries and like a small side salad as a meal. That would be like something I would eat as a meal. And I still can't believe I would do that. But yes. So I would say call in advance if you can plan ahead. If you don't have time to plan, then don't be afraid to, you know, take the server aside and ask if, if something can be custom made. And it takes practice in the delivery because it always feels a little uncomfortable no matter who you are. But I think after a few times practicing, it gets a little easier and you can be really, you know, you can be nice and kind of jokey about it so that it's not so heavy and scary. (laughs) (laughs) I I've definitely been the French fry and salad person. So no shame on that. I totally get that. Sometimes that's the only option. And you're like, well, I can't just have a salad today. I got to have something more substantial. So you eat the fries, you know, it's not good, but they taste good at the time. Yeah, I mean, they're, yeah, French fries are delicious. There's no denying it. Right. <laughs> We're not here being like, if you're vegan, you don't get to eat good food. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. We want to eat good food and we do eat good food. Can you give a shout out to one or two of your favorite restaurants that you visited on your travels? Yes, I love Portobello in Portland, Oregon. Their ice cream sundaes are amazing. And one of my other favorites is Sprig and Vine in uh, New Hope, New Jersey, or maybe it's Pennsylvania. It's on the border of New Jersey and Pennsylvania in a town called New Hope. Ooh, I'll have to go there because my husband's family lives there. So we fly into Philadelphia and then we drive into New Jersey. So I'll have to check it out. Nice. Yeah. And there's, I don't know when, when the last time is you were there, but there's a new place called Charlie was a sinner and it's fantastic. You have to check it out. It's in Philly. Awesome. I'll see if his family wants to go with me next time. Yeah. <laughs> they listen to the show. So here's oh. a shout out. You guys, <laughs> you have to take me there. <laughs> Michelle. So you know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you really feel strongly you want to tell our audience today? I would just like to share this quote that it's something that I share at each of my book tour stops. And I just think it's really poignant and I love it. It's by this guy named Pat Flynn. He was one Mm -hmm. of the original people that inspired my journey. He has this great website called smartpassiveincome.com. It's a great resource for anyone who is entrepreneurial minded. He's, he's amazing. And I was listening to one of his presentations that he gave a few months ago, and he opens it by saying this. He says, I'd rather live a life full of oh wells than a life full of what ifs. Wow, that's good. That's powerful. I love Pat Flynn. Uh, you know, Pat Flynn and John Lee Dumas, both of them are entrepreneurs who really helped me even start this podcast. So I definitely agree. Like if anyone is looking to do something different with their life, is looking to start a new adventure, check those guys out because they're very inspiring. So that's a great quote. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Where can everyone find you online? Yes, I am on all of the social things. Well, most of them uh, on Instagram and Twitter. I am at WTF Vegan Food. And of course, that stands for will travel for. 
and not the other thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I've gotten some angry emails from people that think I'm swearing at them online. And I say, I don't know what you think WTF stands for, but (laughs) that is so funny. I would think it's cool. I like it. (laughs) Even if it, if it, if it was what the, what it could stand for, I would still like it. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. Uh, yeah. And the website is the same. It's WTFveganfood.com. And then on Facebook, it's the full expression will travel for vegan food. Great. Okay. Awesome. And so if anyone wants to get your book, where are the best resources to find it? Yes, it's currently on Amazon and it's also on the publisher's website, which is veganpublishers.com. All right. And do you have more tour dates in 2015 where people can find you? I do. I have um, almost every weekend in October, there's something coming up. Let's see. So in October for the book tour, I'm going to be in... Portland, Oregon for possibly the 3rd. That's not confirmed yet, but possibly October 3rd. Seattle for sure at the Field Roast headquarters on October 9th. Austin, Texas at Capital City Bakery on October 16th. I'm going to be speaking at the Fargo, North Dakota Veg Fest on the 18th of October. And then I'm actually going to be in Salem, Massachusetts on the 27th, which is the day before my 33rd birthday. Awesome. I'm going I'm going to be there for a walking vegan food tour. So it'll be like a Halloween themed because Salem, Mass is crazy around that time of year for Halloween stuff. Yeah. Um, and then... My last confirmed scheduled thing for uh, that time period is November 1st. I'll be at the SoCal Veg Fest giving a a talk about the road trip. That's awesome. All right, listeners, if you're going to be in any of those cities during that time, go check Kristen out and check out her website and all her social media. Thank you so much for being here today, Kristen. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. That's our show. Thanks for listening. If you want to get Kristen's book, Will Travel for Vegan Food, she has offered a great deal exclusive to Food Heals Nation. She's offering 50% off your purchase using the promo code EATCLEAN, spelled E-A-T-C-L-N, E-A-T-C-L-N. So go to veganpublishers.com and you can get the book at the lowest price she has ever offered. I loved this book and I know you will too. Today's tweetable comes from Kristen. Start taking action now. If you keep waiting until everything is perfect, it will never happen. I couldn't agree more, Kristen. If you like that, tweet it to Kristen at WTF Vegan Food. You can tweet it to us at Food Heals Nation and use the hashtag Food Heals Podcast in your posts. If you like our show, please make sure you are subscribed. That really helps us out. Follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Food Heals Nation. And today I want to leave you with a quote from T. Colin Campbell. It's never too late to start eating well. A good diet can reverse many of those conditions. In short, change the way you eat and you can transform your health for the better. See you next time, Food Heals Nation. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put down the Ben & Jerry's, get off the couch, and take a walk outside. If you experience any of these symptoms, tell your Facebook friends immediately.